Exodus chapter 28, verse 1. And bring thou near unto thee Aaron thy brother, and his sons with him, from among the children of Israel, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. Aaron had four sons. You might think that God should have chosen Moses to be the high priest, but Moses was the leader of Israel, and he couldn't do both jobs at once. The high priest was a full-time job, and being leader and judge of Israel was a full-time job. Both Moses and Aaron are Levites, but God appointed Aaron, the oldest brother, to actually be the high priest. And then Moses, the youngest brother, is the leader and the judge of Israel. 2. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for splendor and for beauty. It's going to glorify the way that the priests look. And this is important because they're representing the glory of God and the glory of Jesus Christ. 3. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they make Aaron's garments to sanctify him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Whoever is creating these garments, the tailors, they have to be people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and who are very godly, wise people. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to do this right. Somebody who is shallow and sinful and doesn't care about the Lord isn't going to have the spiritual insight to understand what the garments need to look like. We're human, and we don't have all of his knowledge, and so we seek him and his knowledge so that we can understand it. But a sinful person thinks that they're smarter than God, but would take very godly people to be able to make these garments with understanding and to seek more understanding to make the garments correctly. 4. And these are the garments which they shall make a breastplate, and an ephod, and a robe, and a tunic of checkered work, a mitre, and a girdle. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother, and his sons, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. The breastplate is a smaller section that is going to carry the umen, the thumen, and the precious stones that represent Israel. And that's going to go on top of the ephod, which is kind of like an apron that covers the whole torso and the shoulders. The robe is going to be made of blue, and it goes under the ephod, and it represents holiness and, and completeness. The tunic is white, and it's made of fine linen, just like the tunic that Jesus wore, uh, that his mother probably put a lot of time and trouble into making for him because he was the oldest son, and she knew that he came straight from heaven because she knew that she was a virgin when she had him, and the angel told her that he would be the Son of God. So she made him the most special tunic she possibly could and it was and so this tunic has a checkered design worn into it the meter is the crown and it's made of gold because Jesus has a crown he actually has many crowns the girdle is the sash that goes across the chest so men wore girdles before women did and God invented the girdle the holy garments which are what I called before bloomers but actually it's kind of like boxer shorts to cover their private area so that when they're walking around the altar, they'll be totally covered in the presence of God and they won't be showing any nakedness under their skirt. 
five. And they shall take the gold and the blue and the purple and the scarlet and the fine linen. So these are all the the cloths that they shall take. Six, and they shall make the ephod of gold of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen, the work of the skillful workmen. So all the colors that are in the veil, the screen, and the front covering of the outer court are going to be the exact same colors that are woven into the ephod. But in the ephod, they're also going to add gold thread. Seven, it shall have two shoulder pieces joined to the two ends thereof, that it may be joined together. It has shoulder straps. Eight, and the skillful woven band, which is upon it, wherewith to gird it on, shall be like the work thereof, and of the same piece of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine twined linen. Here it really is where all these colors are interlaced. They're woven together to make this cloth. A cloth that has all the colors woven into each other. They're not in separated in stripes. 9. And thou shalt take two onyx stones, and these are dark black stones, engrave on them the names of the children of Israel. On the right shoulder was the names of the oldest six children of Jacob that represent six of the tribes of Israel. And on the left shoulder was the names of the other six sons of Jacob. The priest is wearing this black onyx stone, one on each shoulder, and each one has the names of the children engraved. 10. Six of their names on the one stone, and the names of the six that remain on the other stone, according to their birth, so oldest to youngest. 11. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, shalt thou engrave the two stones, according to the names of the children of Israel, thou shalt make them to be enclosed in settings of gold. The way the stones are held into the shoulder strap is with a gold enclosure that holds the stone. So this gold enclosure has to have little tiny holes where they sew the enclosure onto the ephod after they have put the stone under the gold thing so that the gold will hold the stone in. This means the stones are probably wider on the bottom than the top so that they'll be fastened in there. They're carved on like a signet on a signet ring. A signet is a seal of authority. So this kind of symbolizes authority that God has over the tribes. 12. And thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulder pieces of the ephod to be stones of memorial for the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for a memorial to remember the tribes. 13. And thou shalt make settings of gold. 14. And two chains of pure gold of plated thread shalt thou make them of wreathen work, and thou shalt put the wreathen chains on the settings. There's decorative chains on the settings as well, on the shoulder straps. And the chains of gold are like little wreaths that are connected together. Of course, it takes a really skilled jeweler to make this. 15. And thou shalt make a breastplate of judgment, the work of the skillful workmen. The breastplate is over on top of the ephod. It's called judgment because God is going to tell the Israelites what he wants with this breastplate. Let me describe it a little bit more. Like the work of the ephod, thou shalt make it of gold of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen shalt thou make it. So again, it has all these different threads intertwined. So it's made from the same cloth of all these threads intertwined, including gold threads. It's made of the same cloth as the um, 
ephod and it goes on top of the ephod. Inside the ephod there are two pockets, one for the urim and one for the thummim. That stands for lights and perfections. Urim is lights and the thummim is perfections. I don't know exactly what material it consisted of. One pocket has the urim, and I don't know what material that is. I'm assuming it's rocks of some sort, but I don't know. And the other pocket has thummim, and I also don't know what material that is. I've done research before to try to find out what it was made of, and I can't find answers anywhere on the internet. But it did light up, and I believe that this is yes and no. When the urim lights up, it's like a no and when the thummim lights up, I think that that means yes, because thummim means perfection and urim means lights. I'm assuming urim is the no light and thummim is the yes light. Because sometimes the Israelites had to ask God yes or no questions like, should we go to battle against this people today? And he would tell them yes or no. Either yes, you're going to win or no, you're not going to win. Stay at home. Anytime there was a yes or no question, they used the Urim and the Thummim. On the breastplate is going to be 12 stones, one stone for each tribe. So whenever God picks a tribe, that stone will light up and become really bright. So if he says, I want this tribe to go to battle, then that stone for that tribe will light up. And this is how God spoke to the people. And it's really gracious that God used this method because you know how hard it is to hear the voice of God, especially when you're in sin. You can't hear God speaking to you. So you need a lot of times lightning to strike from heaven or a rock to fall on your head to hear his voice. And this is what God gave them, which is the same thing as a rock falling on your head. If a light shines from the priest's ephod and it's the light of your tribe, you know there's no doubt you know God's talking about your tribe. He was really gracious to give them this. 16. Four square it shall be in double. A span shall be the length thereof, and a span the breadth thereof. It's a perfect square. A span is when a man opens his hands and stretches out his fingers. It's from the tip of his thumb to the tip of his pinky. So it's about six to eight inches. Probably eight inches if you're a man. So it's eight inches by eight inches going across the chest. 17. And thou shalt set in its settings of stone four rows of stones, a row of, it's going to be three stones on the top, three under that, three under that, and three on the bottom. And this is for the 12 tribes of Israel. Each tribe is going to have a different stone to represent it. That stone is going to have the name of that tribe etched into it. That stone is going to be set into the ephod by gold setting, just like they had on the shoulder of the ephod. They're going to have gold settings. The top row is a row of carnelian, topaz, and smarag shall be the first row. 18. And the second row, a carbuncle, a sapphire, and an emerald. 19. And the third row, a hyacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. 20. And the fourth row, a beryl, and an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be enclosed in gold in their settings. 21. And the stones shall be according to the names of the children of Israel. 12. According to their names, like the engravings of a signet. Everyone according to his name. They shall be for the twelve tribes. And each stone has its own tribe on it. It has its own color. And it will light up when God is selecting that tribe for something. 22. And thou shalt make upon the breastplate plated chains of wreath and work of pure gold. And there's chains on the breastplate fastening it to the rest of the ephod, just as there's chains on the shoulders fastening the shoulder ornament on. 
23, And thou shalt make upon the breastplate two rings of gold, and shalt put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. God uses gold rings in the tabernacle to for the poles to fit in, and now he's going to have rings on the ephod that the priest wears. 24, And thou shalt put the two wreathen chains of gold on the two rings at the ends of the breastplate. So you're going to fasten the chains into the rings. 25, And the other two ends of the two wreathen chains thou shalt put on the two settings, and put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod in the forepart thereof. So he's connecting everything together by the chains and the rings. 26, And thou shalt make two rings of gold, and thou shalt put them upon the two ends of the breastplate, upon the edge thereof, which is toward the side of the ephod inward. 27. And thou shalt make two rings of gold, and shalt put them on the two shoulder pieces of the ephod underneath, in the forepart thereof, close by the coupling thereof, above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. It's hard for me to figure out where exactly the rings were because I'm not good at mechanical things, but maybe some of you listening are good at crafting and building, and so you know exactly what this means. I actually have to look at diagrams on Google to figure it out because I'm not good at building things or constructing things. It's hard for me to visualize it, but I'm sure you guys can do your own research and some of you may know just by reading what this is talking about. 27. And thou shalt make two rings of gold, and shalt put them on the two shoulder pieces of the ephod underneath, in the forepart thereof, close by the coupling thereof, above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. 28. And they shall bind the breastplate by unto the rings of the ephod with a thread of blue, that it may be upon the skillfully woven band of the ephod, and that the breastplate be not loosed from the ephod. Blue means holiness. It's also, apparently, the word that means finish. And when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. So it means completeness. It means finished. All the work is done through Jesus Christ. All the work for our salvation. 29. And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart, when he goeth in unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. Whenever Aaron enters the holy of holies, he has to have this breastplate on. 30. And thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be upon Aaron's heart when he goeth in before the Lord. And Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. He's got the Urim and the Thummim behind the breastplate, and on the breastplate he has the twelve stones, and on his shoulders he has the two black onyx stones with the names of the tribes. 31. And thou shalt make the robe of the ephod all of blue. Under the ephod there's a blue robe, and under the blue robe there's a white garment, which represents the garment of righteousness that you and I are going to wear when we go up in the clouds to meet Jesus. You see blue and white a lot together. Righteousness and holiness. Jesus ascended in the clouds in the sky. After he rose again, he ascended up to heaven on white clouds going up in a blue sky. When Jesus returns, he will come back on the clouds. The angels said he will return the same way he left. He'll come back in a blue sky on white clouds. That's the way Jesus is coming back. And blue means holiness and white means righteousness. And I think that's why clouds are mentioned a lot when the Bible talks about Jesus. 32. And it shall have a hole for the head in the midst thereof. It shall have a binding of woven work round about the whole of it, as it were the whole of a coat of mail, that it be not rent. There's a hole in the center of the tunic, and it has a binding or a hem that's crafted around it so that it won't tear. 
33, and upon the skirts of it thou shalt make pomegranates of blue. Now this is talking about the blue apron. At the edge on the skirt near the feet is blue pomegranates. Make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet round about the skirts thereof. They're made with material that's woven blue, purple, and scarlet round about the skirts thereof, and bells of gold between them round about. So there's little golden bells in between each pomegranate. Now the bells are practical because they make noise whenever the priest walks, and that's important because when the priest goes into the Holy of Holies, if he isn't sanctified and pure when he goes in, then he's going to die because he'll be approaching the Ark of the Covenant like say he committed a sin and there was no atonement for his sin and he walks into the Holy of Holies, he's going to drop dead. The other priests outside that are not in the Holy of Holies, they can hear when the priest is walking and they can hear when he's not walking. And if he's not walking, they're going to have a rope tied to his ankle. And if he stops walking and it sounds like he fell down, they'll know that he's dead. They can't go in there to pick him up or they'll die because the place is so holy and they're not sanctified either. So they're going to have to pull him out by his ankle that's attached to the rope. And so that's the practical reason for the bells. The pomegranates could represent the forbidden fruit that Adam and Eve ate. And I don't know if it was pomegranate or not. The Bible doesn't say that it was pomegranates, but it could represent that fruit. In my opinion, it could also represent fruit from the tree of life. Because when we go to heaven, we're going to eat from the fruit of the tree of life, and that will heal us. The leaves of the tree will heal us as well. 35. And it shall be upon Aaron to minister, and the sound thereof shall be heard when he goeth in unto the holy place before the Lord, and when he cometh out, that he die not. The sound of the bells also signifies to the Lord that the high priest is approaching. It's kind of like an announcement to the Lord that the high priest is approaching. He's not allowed to come in silently. His approach has to be announced. 36. And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold, and engrave upon it like the engravings of a signet, holy to the Lord. Now this plate is a crown, and this crown is going to go onto the priest's head, and it will adorn the bottom of the turban that's on the priest's head. And the crown says, holy to the Lord. It's emphasizing the holiness of God. 37. And thou shalt put it on a thread of blue, and it shall be upon the mitre, upon the forefront of the mitre it shall be. A blue thread will hold this on. 38. And it shall be upon Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall bear the iniquity committed in the holy things, which the children of Israel shall hallow, even in all their holy gifts. And it shall be always upon his forehead, that they may be accepted before the Lord. It says he's going to bear the iniquity, and iniquity is sin. He's bearing the sin of the people, just like Jesus bears our sin. I think it's saying bearing the iniquity of the holy things because the holy things are offered by the people. All the utensils and all that stuff in the temple is offered by sinful people. So there's sin attached to it. And so Aaron has this holiness declaration, holy to the Lord, with a blue thread representing holiness to kind of cleanse the implements that are given to God. They need to be cleansed first. 39. And thou shalt weave the tunic in checker work of fine linen, and thou shalt make a mitre of fine linen, and thou shalt make a girdle, the work of the weaver in colors. The girdle is the strap that goes around the waist of the priest, 
and actually goes kind of under the breast, so it's a little higher than the waist. This is made of all of those threads put together, the gold, the blue, the purple, and the white linen, all intertwined to make this beautiful sash that goes around. I think it's going around his rib cage, to be honest. The checkered work is a pattern that's woven into the fine linen. It's not different colors. It's a raised pattern in the linen that looks like diamonds or checkers. 40. And for Aaron's sons thou shalt make tunics, and thou shalt make for them girdles and head tears, shalt thou make for them of splendor and for beauty. They're also going to have these crowns, the bonnets, the beautiful sash that's a girdle. 41. And thou shalt put them upon Aaron thy brother and upon his sons with him, and shalt anoint them and consecrate them and sanctify them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. You and I always have to be anointed, we have to be consecrated, and we have to be sanctified. Sanctified means set apart only for the Lord. You and I don't go into the bar, we don't go into the casino. We're separated for the Lord. Now we do talk to sinners, but we don't fellowship with them and dabble into the sinful things that they're doing. We're set apart. God, even when he went into the tax collector's home to have dinner, he wasn't there for his own entertainment. He was still separate and set apart. He was there to share the gospel with them, not to get a free meal and have a fun time. So whenever we are with sinners, even if we eat with them, the whole purpose is to share the gospel, not to buddy-buddy around. Um, consecrated means that you're purified, and anointed is the oil which represents the Holy Spirit. So you have the Spirit of God in you. The oil that was used in the temple, we had read in the last chapter, it was made from beaten olive oil. There's a difference between beaten and pressed olive oil. They got oil out of the olive in three different steps. First, they would beat it or crush it. That's the first step that gets out the crystal clear, pure oil the fine oil that has no cloudiness. And then the second step was they would put it in an olive press, and then they would press out the rest of the oil, and that's the oil that most people ate with, and it has cloudiness to it, and that's the oil that you and I have in our homes. And then in the third step, they would really crush again and press again the pulp of the olive to get out every little last drop, and that was probably the poor man's oil. That was the lowest priced oil, but the highest finest oil was the one that only came from the initial crushing of the olives. Now this represents that Jesus was beaten for our sins. He was brutalized for our sins. He was beaten just like the olives are beaten to give that fine oil. Also the gold in the sanctuary is it's always of beaten work. And again, that symbolizes that Jesus was beaten before he went to the cross. 42. And thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover the flesh of their nakedness from the loins even unto the thighs they shall reach. It covers the whole private area and most of the thighs so that there's no chance of God being able to see up their skirt when they're around the altar. It looks like Bermuda shorts. 43. And they shall be upon Aaron and upon his sons when they go in unto the tent of meeting, or when they come near unto the altar to minister in the holy place. What we called the tabernacle in the last chapter is now being called the tent of meeting. It's called the tent of meeting because it's where God meets man. It's where the high priest actually approaches God, where the mercy seat is. That they bear not iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever under him and unto his seed after him. 
Their nakedness must be covered so that they don't die. Nakedness represents sin. And Adam and Eve did not know that they were naked until after they sinned. When they were innocent, they didn't know they were naked. The knowledge, the understanding of nakedness means that we're sinners. It's interesting that babies don't know they're naked because they haven't sinned yet. But as soon as a child is old enough to sin, which is in the toddler years or shortly after, then they realize they're naked. To me, it shows when a child knows right from wrong is when they realize the difference between naked and dressed. For some children, it's a little older, and for other children, it's a little younger. But when a child knows when they're naked, they also know right from wrong. And that concludes Exodus chapter 28.